Having car problems? Well, with Rhoda, getting them fixed is as easy as ordering takeout. They'll come pick up your car for free, do any repair or maintenance needed, and return it right to your driveway. They'll even give you a complimentary video inspection of your car so you can see what needs to be done. Perfect for those of us that maybe aren't so car savvy. Book your appointment online at roda.com. And lucky for you, CityCast listeners get a 20% discount on any service for up to $100 off. Just use the code CityCast20. on CityCast DC. So everyone loves the National Mall, but the truth is it has limited space. So what happens when you want to add a new monument or site? This is actually poised to be happening soon with the addition of two new museums. And Philip Kinnicott from the Washington Post has a big vision for a better National Mall. It's Tuesday, December 20th, 2022. I'm Bridget Todd, and this is CityCast DC. Museum in DC wants to be on the National Mall. And this is something that my co-host Mike Schaefer actually recently wrote about in his column for Politico, too. Phil, you've written about it for the Washington Post, where you're the art and architecture critic. Why do museums want this so badly? Because this is the prime symbolic real estate in the United States. You know, this is the, the nation's front yard. It, it's a place where the axis of the Capitol and the White House and the Lincoln Memorial and the Jefferson Memorial and the Washington Monument all meet. It's it's the it's the A-tier um, symbolic landscape. Yeah, I really loved how you described it in your piece. It's like being at the table, right? And like everybody wants to feel like they have a seat at that table. Yeah, you know, especially since we've started rethinking how we tell history, that's become more important. You know, if you look at the mall as it was laid out more than a century ago, and two of the biggest features are monuments to white founders of the country who are also slaveholders. Um, and that doesn't fit well with our new sense of history in which we're trying to bring to the fore voices that were excluded from kind of the mainstream narratives that have dominated this country for so long. So speaking of that, we know there's been this kind of controversy over these two new Smithsonian museums coming to town, the National Museum of the American Latino and the Smithsonian American Women's History Museum. Just like everybody else, they want to be right smack dab on the wall, and they're awaiting approval from Congress, specifically to be on a space called the Reserve. Um, What is the Reserve and what are the rules around it? So the reserve is a a part of the of the core of Washington D.C. that was laid out more than twenty years ago as quote a substantially completed work of civic art, which basically means that it's full. It's it's got all the stuff it can reasonably hold and retain the character of openness and grandeur and kind of wide open vistas that it had when it was laid out by something called the Macmillan Plan around 1901, 1902. So you've actually got a different proposal for these two museums. What is it and how would it work? Well, my argument is that these museums deserve to be on the mall. They have to be on the mall. But let's change the dimensions of the mall. Let's not stick with the mall as it was defined in 1901, 1902. Let's expand it. And why can we do that? Well, because the mall right now is hemmed in by a lot of office buildings that we don't necessarily need, especially along the south side, along what's called Independence Avenue. If we could remove one of the major buildings there, we could actually expand the wall and make some really prime sites for museums. I kind of like your plan. Are there plans currently to expand the mall? This has been talked about for a long time. 
there's a building called the Forestall Building, and it sits right on the south side of the mall. And it's a, a kind of B-plus brutalist building from the 1960s. It's, it's you know, it's fine. Uh, it has a certain dour charm, but it's got one big, really stupid problem. And that is that it straddles 10th Street. And 10th Street is one of the major um, streets that could allow us to move the mall to the south towards the river and create a kind of more of a cross-like shape rather than the kind of long avenue shape that exists now. That's been talked about for a long time. My article was an attempt to sort of push that forward and say, hey, now is the time to do it. How did the Smithsonian react to your proposal and any of the criticism of the spots that they did choose? Well, not surprisingly, they are happy with the spots that they've chosen. They they went through <laughs> surprise, surprise, <laughs> surprise, surprise. I mean, they were they were asked by Congress to come up with some sites, and they worked with the committees that are organizing these two new museums. And not surprisingly, they want to be in kind of the most symbolically closest spots as they can get to um, the Washington Monument, the African-American Museum of History and Culture. They, they decided on two spots that I argue are really not kind of, you know, prime spots. But because they're so central to where the tourist energy of the mall is right now, I think they're de very dedicated to those. I hope that their mind will get changed along the way. Are there other spots or other buildings that you would repurpose? Like if you were in charge of the city, are there buildings in the mall that you're like, oh, we got to get rid of this? There are a couple of them that are really classic. One of them is a really, really great building. It's called the Arts and Industries Building. And it's a 19th century building that was one of the original Smithsonian Museums. It, it used to house exhibitions about kind of industry and culture and so on. Um, it's a gorgeous building in, in colorful brick. It's got a lot of character. Um, it's pretty ample. And it is right there on the mall. It's right next to the Smithsonian Castle. So it is in kind of the, the prime spot for museum. The problem is everybody looks at that building and they see a 19th century building and they think we're trying to tell a 21st century story and we don't know quite how we're going to put a museum in there. What I would say is what you need is a good architect and a good designer and you'll figure out how to put a 21st century museum in that space. When was the last time you went to the theater? Well, we have a new show for you to check out. The Gala Theater in Columbia Heights is showing the political musical comedy Museum in the Closet, Avida's Return, which follows Argentine icon Eva Perón to the afterlife as her preserved corpse ignites political scandals, clandestine affairs, and mysterious murders. The show is full of samba, reggae, and tango that will have you tapping your feet nonstop. The show is in Spanish with English surtitles and will run from May 9th through June 9th. Get your tickets now at galatheater.org or call 202-234-7174. So I definitely hear you about not wanting the mall to be too overdeveloped or too crowded. Completely agree. But is there some feeling that it might be worthwhile from a symbolic perspective to have these two museums that are about uplifting, you know, underrepresented communities in that prime location? Absolutely. This is why the mall is important real estate. It's why people go to the mall. Um, they go to the mall in a sense to see American history enacted in a kind of architectural landscape way. Um, so I completely understand why they might want the two spots that they've chosen. But what I would say is that if they really looked at this 
they would find that there are other spots that are just as symbolically resonant, um, that are just as close to the mall. In fact, you know, one of the spots that's been proposed isn't even technically on the mall. The mall has some kind of strange boundaries that most people don't know. We use it as a term to refer to the kind of the whole center of Washington. Um, but one of the two spots known as the Tidal Basin site, it actually isn't even on the mall. Are there other prime locations that are not on the mall that you think are are worthy for some of these new museums? Well, as I argue, the, the spots on the south side of the mall are really prime um, potential extensions of the mall. Um, I think once you remove something like the Forestall building, you wouldn't even know that la- that land wasn't originally part of the mall. If you extend the green grass um, to the south of the mall, it's going to be the mall. You know, as soon as people see that and when it's finished, it's going to look just like the rest of the mall. Um, so some of these are kind of arbitrary geographical distinctions that are laid out. And the only people who really know them are the National Park Service and the architect of the Capitol and a few other kind of bureaucratic agencies that manage these landscapes. The way that you're describing it is very D.C., right? These arbitrary kind of bureaucratic red tape like this, that, these very technical distinctions that ultimately your average person is not really feeling when they actually go visit these sites. I think that's really true. And, and, you know, in a way that gets to the core of one of the arguments that I make, which was that the mall, this space was laid out by, you know, a group of white men in the beginning of the 20th century. And then it becomes sacrosanct. Oh, that's the mall. Um, Well, yes, it should be sacrosanct because it's an important landscape. And it was painful and hard to clear that land and turn it into the place we know today. But we don't have to be constrained by their definition of where the mall begins and ends. We can make the mall suitable to our own needs and devices. Yeah, that's something that you described so well in your piece that really got me thinking. Do you think it kind of reflects this need to evolve? Like our history has evolved from one particular viewpoint being the viewpoint that is championed, like the white male perspective. And we're trying to open up those viewpoints um, to to reflect the actual identity of the American experience. But we're trying to do so in a finite space. And that's just not possible. Yeah. And, you know, it's really unfortunate that we think about finite space as the main limiting condition on so many of these questions. I mean, if you're right, now think back to when we had one American History Museum and we had, you know, we only had so much room in there to tell all the stories. And it was very clear, painfully clear that incredibly important stories were not being told in that space. So then we begin to expand it and we have a museum devoted to Native Americans. We have a museum devoted to African-Americans. And soon we'll have museums devoted to women and Latinos and eventually probably uh, Asian and Pacific communities. And there's talk of an LGBTQ museum as well. So to break open that very limited sense of history, we had to really get beyond the architecture of a single building and build new buildings. Well, the same thing applies to the landscape as well. Let's expand that just as we kind of broke out of the parameters of the the existing American History Museum. Yeah, we shouldn't be letting these narrow parameters define how we can tell the story of our vast American experience. Yeah, you know, it's funny how deeply ingrained that... It's almost a need that some people feel to have parameters. We have to have a canon that can only have so many books in it, and they have to be these 10, these 20, these 50 books. Um, We have to have a history museum, and it has to sort of tell all the stories within this confined space. But you know what that does is it inevitably pits one group against another when they want to bring their voices into the fore. And that's an unnecessary form of, of conflict. We don't have to go in that space. I mean, yes, sometimes there are limited resources and you have to make hard decisions. That's politics. 
But in this case, there are some pretty easy and obvious things to do so that we can continue to broaden our sense of history without saying, oh, you're in and you're out, or you're allowed on the mall and you're not. What's your favorite spot on the mall? Because I asked you, like, what building would you get rid of or repurpose? What, what are you like, oh, this is a gem, we have to keep this? So I do have a favorite spot in the mall, um, and it's called the Enid Haupt Garden. And you probably, if you blink, you're going to miss it because it's a tiny little um, garden between two existing museums. It's very close to the Hirshhorn, kind of on the on the western edge of the of the Hirshhorn. And the reason I like it is that as much as I love the mall and as much as I admire the effort it took to produce this grand open space, when you're on it, especially in the summer, it is hot and it is open and, you know, you can get a sunburn, especially if you look like me when you're walking on the mall. I love the little gardens that inhabit the sides of the mall because they remind me in some ways of what this space originally was. And if I can, if I can just add one more favorite spot, it's the little garden that's attached to the National Museum of the American Indian because they created a wetland there. And if you go there and you get your camera just right and you kind of, you know, cut the picture down so you don't see to the edges, you can get a picture of the Capitol across the swamp with like this wild stuff growing. And it's just this magnificent reminder that, hey, this is not what this landscape was meant to look like. You know, this was this was an open, a wild, a, a native landscape before we came to Washington and kind of laid this big imperial capital on it. That's beautiful. I'm so glad I asked. <laughs> <laughs> Philip, thank you so much for being here. This was so enlightening. Thank you for having me. I love talking about this stuff. And before you go, here's some quick news. The Boston Macy's is getting converted into a 16-story building with more than 550 apartments. There's also going to be a grocery store and some retail space on site, which is attached to the Boston Quarter Mall. Plus, there's going to be 245 bike parking spots and electric vehicle charging stations, too. Meanwhile, how could we forget Lord's embarrassing, kind of questionable swim in the Potomac River? But maybe she was onto something. Army engineers are conducting a study of the Potomac and Anacostia rivers to identify areas that might be clean enough to swim in. The group Potomac Riverkeeper says that it's gotten a lot cleaner in recent years and is urging D.C. to lift its 50-year ban on swimming. And lastly, a little good news. Metro is finally putting an end to ghosting. No, 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 not to your Tinder dates. Don't get too excited. This only applies to buses. A lot of the times, buses displayed on the real-time bus ETA website disappear from the location tracker mid-route or simply never arrive to their scheduled stop. Wamata's app software has been upgraded so that out-of-service buses will no longer appear on the tracker or other third-party tracking apps like Google Maps and Transit. That's all for today here on CityCast DC. And if you enjoyed the show, why not tell your friend who can't get enough of visiting the National Mall? Have them rate and review, and also check out our sister newsletter, Hey DC. And we'll be back tomorrow morning with even more news from around the city. Talk to you then. Mike Schaefer recently wrote about in his political Politico comment. In his politico com in his politico common it's a, a tongue twister. <laughs>